Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast and the Managing Director of B Squared. And if this is your first Sendcast, then welcome. Welcome to the podcast. The aim of the Sendcast is simple. We want to reach lots and lots of people and help everyone learn more about special educational needs and disability. This week, my guest is Sue White. Sue joined Widget in 2018 as now a Senior Educational Specialist. And before this, she was a teacher and a Senko. And on this week's episode, we are discussing how to help pupils to understand and express how they feel. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are the assessment people. We help everyone to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools to show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages with lots of different frameworks. If you only use the pre-key stage standards for pupils working below year one, our assessment frameworks will help you show progress and identify next steps. Did you know you can also use B-squared assessment software for more than just pupils with SEND? You can now assess all pupils in one system. It saves you time, it saves you money, and it simplifies the whole assessment and data process. Visit the B-squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through our assessment software. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing how schools can support students to help understand and express how they feel. My guest this week is Sue White. Sue is a Senior Educational Specialist at Widget, which she joined in 2018. Before this, she was a teacher and a Senko, and Sue has spent her career helping pupils to communicate and join in lessons. Through Widget, she supports schools to use symbols to enable pupils to communicate. Welcome to the show, Sue. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. So there is lots of evidence to show that there is a very big relationship between the social, emotional, mental health and a pupil's communication and interaction skills. A pupil's inability to communicate effectively is extremely likely to have a negative impact on their mental health. Yeah, lots of research, as you say, around that side of things. I would go one step further with that as well and say that there's research around detrimental effect on spoken language development of pupils from the pan- over the pandemic, which again, obviously, is going to link into not being able to communicate. I, I wanted to mention as well, when you said that, that there is quite a strong link between poor language skills, both understanding and expressive language, and the prison population which is actually another interesting factor in terms of being able to express yourselves. Yeah, I think in the school's white paper that was released a couple of months ago, they talked about the research into the standards and population, the prison population. But there was, it was a British, I think, Speech and Language Society, I think did a load of research which showed the average communication level of an inmate in prison is about that of an 11-year-old. Yeah. So if they're 30 and at the 11-year-old, what level were they at when they were 11? Absolutely, yep. And and how that would have gone for them, then the impact on their sort of mental health and the decisions that they made through lack of, yeah, there's, it just, we need those communication interaction skills. Very, very crucial. It's communicating 
the world around you and understanding. But I think those expressing your own feelings and understanding your feelings are really important. And if we go completely segueing off into, I think it's like the male suicide rate is men are told you do not have feelings, just yeah. stiff up a lip, grim and bear it. And it obviously has a very big impact on their mental health due to that suicide rate. So we have to completely understand, completely yeah, agree and understand that we need, we, everyone has feelings. And if you're not understanding how you feel and cannot share how you feel, it's going to go downhill. Totally agree. And I think that this thing around communication is, is both ways. It's about understanding comprehension and it's about expression. So being able to articulate how you're feeling. But in terms of actually understanding what an emotion feels like within your body is also part of that whole process as well. So recognizing that anger can be felt because you're getting hot, you're clenching your fists. Um, and again, from the perspective that I'm coming at, it's being able to help individuals and children understand what that those feelings are relating to. So by giving them a visual or a symbol to show them that when they're angry, they might be clenching their teeth or they might be balling their fists or there might be this sick feeling in their stomach if they're feeling anxious, for example. So making those connections between what the body's doing, what that emotion is, and then giving the, the, the verbal, the word to actually then being able to express it. And all of those things can be helped and supported by having something visual rather than it just being spoken that recognizing feelings in yourself is really hard because you you have with widget and also if you think of all the emojis you have all these feelings which is always a facial representation absolutely and then you're going oh he's angry why is that well look at his face and you look in the mirror and you're going well my face isn't doing that so i can't be angry and that's thing those those emojis and that it kind of shows that you feel it in your face but most most of your feelings affect your body. You feel it in different places and things like that. And it's they don't always make that connection. No. So they can see how's that person's feeling. Look at they look at a picture and they see grumpy. Oh, I see grumpy. Oh, he's sad. He's angry. I can yeah. Any emoji, I'll tell you what they're feeling. How I feel and how that person walking towards me is feeling quite strongly and stomping i have no idea how they're feeling because their face isn't any of those no that's, that's correct yeah so there's a lot of a lot of work obviously around understanding how your body relates to that emotion that you're feeling at widget we use symbols in lots of different ways to encourage children to identify that so we might have for example a chart of butterflies in the stomach clenched teeth um i've mentioned clenched fists you know before but all of those ways that we react, feeling nervous, feeling tired, and then kind of allowing children to pick out how those, that, what they're feeling from those emotions by making that choice out of how their body's reacting, and then mapping that to an emotion card that shows them, again, what that actually means, what the vocabulary is around that, so that the next time they're feeling those feelings in their body, they're able to match that to the emotion they know the vocabulary and they're either able to articulate that because they know the word or they're able to point to a symbol to show to somebody else that that's how they're feeling but it is that you have that term emotional literacy Absolutely, yeah. which i thought was soppy writing <laughs> <laughs> but it's not it's about how your level of understanding how fluent you are 
in your emotions. Yeah. Which is going, again, you sit there and go, but surely we can all do that. And the answer is no. No, no we don't no. recognise it until we've, it's been actually expressed and, and yeah, concretely understood. There's a, a really lovely example with a, a nursery school in, in Blackburn, Hurstwood Nursery School, where they've got, ironic, isn't it? We're talking about visuals and, and we, I can't show you anything, so it would be auditory, <laughs> but that they have a lovely big board with a child's name and a picture that represents that, that child it might be a rabbit for somebody or, you know, so that the, the child can recognise their particular name. And then symbol cards that they can choose from. So every morning the, the nursery children come in, they choose an emotion card that they then put next to their name. But then during the day, they're encouraged to revisit that board. So if something happens and that emotion changes, so somebody doesn't share something with them or they want to go outside, but they're not able to. So they become angry or upset or anxious over what's going to happen next, for example. They're encouraged to revisit that board and change the emotion and then look at how they might then resolve that situation. So as well as the emotion cards, they've also got solution cards. So it might be breathe deeply or it might be go and see an adult or it might be snuggle up with a, a soft toy or, you know, something. So they're actually teaching the children to recognize their emotions, link them to physical feelings and the abstract vocabulary but also build their repertoire of self-regulatory skills as well. So it's a really lovely example of how visuals and symbols can be used in, again, a slightly different way to norm that we would expect for being able to express ourselves. You could, I bet a lot of people could go, I wish I had that for my husband. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but that's the thing, you sit there and that is that recognising how I feel. And that's the thing is, there are times when I've worked hard and, I, and I, it's taken me a while to understand I'm not feeling right. What am I feeling? And generally the word is tired and stressed. And, or, and sometimes, again, there are times when I've been really worked up and quite emotional and I'm going, where's this come from? And, it, it's, and it's under that picking. So being able to recognise is sometimes hard for everybody. And then what do I do is also a really hard skill because is I don't think that sort of those coping strategies and breathing and things like that have really been taught to us. And us as in our generation, potentially. Our generation and probably lots of other generations. Yeah, I, I think it's something that... We are a lot more mindful of, to use the, the right phrase. So mindfulness is much more prevalent, I think, in schools now in terms of teaching children how to deal with those emotions and, you know, have those coping strategies. So zones of regulation is a, is a very good way of helping children to recognise their state of, of how they're feeling, how they're approaching their work, but also what they can do then to bring themselves back into a different zone. The incredible five-point scale from Carrie Dunbaron is another way of supporting children on the autistic spectrum to do exactly that. My nephew uses those zones of regulation and it, he knows when he's green. Yeah. But if my sister goes, where are you? If he's not green, he just can say, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Which she knows is he's red or orange, but more like the orange, the fact he's responded. Yes. 
is I don't know. He's probably orange. But if he doesn't respond, he's red. So he obviously still hasn't understood how he's feeling. He just goes, this isn't the green feeling. So he's still having to work out what it is he's feeling. feeling. Not sure. No, that's right. And, and a lot of work has to go into to actually be able to use these tools in, in terms of teaching children, as we've spoken already. A visual will help. A symbol will help because it actually then can show you a little bit more about how you're feeling. But it's also about vocabulary. So I don't know if you ever come across Jean Gross. She's an amazing evangelist in the speech and language world. And she wrote the foreword to Word Aware, which is a, a very good book in terms of teaching vocabulary. If you haven't seen it, then it's, it's well worth a look. But she says, without a good vocabulary, children struggle to understand what they are taught to express how they feel, manage social situations and resolve conflicts. Because we think and we, we work in, in language, so we need vocabulary in order to be able to express ourselves, to think to resolve conflicts, as she says. And many, many of our children nowadays, unfortunately, have poor vocabulary for all sorts of different reasons. So again, coming from this perspective of Widget, Widget feels that they can very much help children with poor vocabulary because a symbol will actually explain, help them to understand what that word means. So they then have that in order to be able to express themselves. Yeah. Tell you what the emotion is. And we know, again, from lots of research with COVID, um, the, the vocabulary range coming into early year settings is shockingly low. And often with Americanisms, because yes. they spent the last couple of years on YouTube or Cartoon Network or something else. And that's often not the preferred choice of parents. But if the parents have to work and there's the pressures from employers and they've got to somehow entertain their children, a screen will often be one of the only options for them. And often those TV programs have a limited vocabulary, lots of limitations. You could probably rip them apart. Someone who's a lot more knowledgeable around language and emotions and things like that, about what they aren't covering, which you would get in normal conversations with others. Absolutely. Especially when you go to, things like music with mummy and all those groups, you are literally exploring feelings. You are literally trying to explore them and you're trying to learn. There is always something you're trying to learn in these things and through play. Whereas two years in front of the TV screen or whatever, that's not been happening. It's been a, I mean, a most detrimental effect on both vocabulary, language development, social interactions, emotional well-being. So uh, unfortunately, COVID's got an awful lot to answer for. The, the speech and language charity ICANN estimates that over now over one and a half million children in, in classes who struggle to process vocabulary we may have a far more limited bank of words than we would normally expect. And that, that's a staggering number. That's really scary. And I, again, we, we probably can't answer that. They might have a bit of knowledge, but it's probably not something they might never catch up or they may catch up to the detriment of something else. <laughs> I think you can't just suddenly fill in two years of misdevelopment. No, I mean, teachers, I'm, I'm out of the classroom now, but, you know, teachers have such a hard job in terms of doing that because the expectation is that they will. And there's, again, you know, we know that poor vocabulary development is linked to academic achievement and 
lifelong learning and success and positivity. So it's really paramount that those teachers are working as much as they can to actually improve the vocabulary of children. But it doesn't come overnight and it has to be timetabled into the lessons, you know, direct teaching of tier two words, wow words, Goldilocks words, and pre-teaching perhaps of topic vocabulary words, tier three words, all has to be programmed in. And again, you know, looking back to why I'm here on your podcast, symbols and visuals can help that because they can actually explain what a word means and really support the child to retain that word in long-term memory so that they can actually use it themselves in their own writing or understand it when they come across it when they're reading be able to express themselves more fluently and more easily so that they can say those feelings. So if they've had an upset in the playground, they've got the vocabulary to be able to explain to teaching staff what happened and why it happened and why they reacted in that way. So yeah, a lot of work to do on improving vocabulary, but symbols can help. And I think that that there's so many things which come into it. So I did podcast many years ago on verbal reasoning and there was the blank questions scale i think the blank questions where you've got the most abstract of why did you hit him yes <laughs> and it's like and when when she explained this whole concept to me of these four levels of questions i was like wow it was a full-on light bulb moment yeah of why when I asked my children the question, they couldn't answer that. When I took them through it, they knew exactly why they hit them. And then you ask, when I asked you, why didn't you tell? It it just was a complete eye-opener. And But that, that, I suppose, comes after vocabulary, doesn't it? Yeah, it does come after vocabulary because you need that vocabulary, as Jean Gross says, in order to be able to, to say it, to express it. But it's also part of the emotional state that you're in at that time. So if you have been in a fight or you are incredibly anxious about something, then your brain can't process language efficiently. So we call it fight or flight mode. Um, so your brain, go, your reptilian brain takes over your central executive. It stops you thinking. It stops you processing language appropriately. So again, this is where Obviously, your level of questioning will help because you're actually coming in at the right level, but also where symbols can help because I can actually say to a child, fire a symbol, they need to calm down, they need to breathe deeply, they need to, to stop what they're doing so that we can have that conversation, or they can actually able to point to a symbol and say, I'm feeling this. And I need to calm down. I need some time out before you start questioning me. So they've they've actually got that because they've they've got a way of communicating when they can't process verbal language. As we've mentioned in the previous podcast, is that ability to use and understand symbols is, is kind of a lot less taxing on the brain. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a simple way of saying it. So or they might not be able to speak, they might not be able to do that but they can still communicate through symbols. The want is there. It's just in that moment, they're unable to. Yeah. Um, so using symbols can allow them to communicate and share, as you said, how they're feeling and also understand that maybe they're angry, that they don't know what to do, but you can help them go and point them at the breathe slowly symbol mm -hmm. or symbols probably, breathing slowly, to help them know how to support them to remove that anger and to self-regulate. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the Visual Teaching Alliance says that we process visual 60,000 times faster in the brain than we do text. But also, you know, that's going to be processing more quickly than we do verbal information as well. Verbal information is transitory. Once words are spoken, they disappear. So if you're in a state, um, anger, frustration, anxiety, and somebody says something to you, you're not going to remember that because it's, the words have gone. So again, symbols can help in all those ways. I'd love to know on that research how they calculated 60,000 times faster. I know, it's incredible, isn't it? Because that's phenomenal. But I was wanting to know, well, how, sorry, how, how? did you do I that? know, yeah. Is is it is it him? You showed a photo with a burger in, and then you showed them a burger. They're like, I don't. I just love to know. Yeah, have to get them on your podcast next. But one thing I have found is with communication is there is an element of choice on the person who you want to react. So uh, uh, I'm sure we've all had our children not listening to us when they were younger. You're calling them their name. They're completely ignoring you. My wife's going, I think, I think we need to send them to the doctor. Then also she can't hear. She can't hear. And I just go, chocolate. Bang. Her head snaps around. She heard that word <laughs> chocolate. chocolate whispered across the room. Yeah. She was there. But that's the thing is when she, there's a level of interest in what she was doing, but she was obviously interested in chocolate. So I can understand it was going in. And that's what I found really fascinating. What my wife was saying was going in. It was being processed and then ignored. Yeah. shared attention isn't it as well so there are stages of development in terms of the way the children can process and attend and listen and if they're very very focused on the lego they're not going to listen to what you're saying because they haven't learned that shared attention focus at that stage but again you know as I say in the classroom they're obviously teaching that but there will be children who continually have poor attention and listening skills or poor short-term memory where they do need extra support, not just that verbal information. So a visual timetable or a now and next board or a card that is held up to say, quiet, listen, is actually going to hopefully get through and pass that poor attention skills. Because with, with that, I suppose with verbal communication, as I'm saying, we're doing this next, is you've had to got that in the amount of time I've given it to you, which was about three seconds long. Whereas if I've given that, if you've got that visual timetable, it can take you as long as you need to process that information. Exactly so, yep. So it makes life a lot easier. And interestingly, the term whispering the word chocolate to my daughter at age 16 still works across the room and makes her smile. I think it does for all of us, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. And she has finally learned I haven't got any chocolate on me. I just need her attention. Yeah. But it is, it, I've, I, I, certain things I've just done with my children that as I've talked to people on podcasts, it's because, yeah, it's because of this. It's like, oh, that's what that was. But that thing is, again, can we, receptive and expressive communication is we talk about how, again, you're saying that fight or flight, but that's just, that's, a, I suppose, the polar extreme is, is at that moment you, you struggle, but it's still a scale. It is. So if they're coming in, from play and they're quite hyped up, they're probably communication, inter- the comprehension communications are probably reduced at that moment as well. Yep. They're not in fight or flight modes. They're a couple of steps away, sure. but they're still, I suppose, going to have that level of communication skills will be reduced. 
yeah no I agree but and I think when once you introduce visuals and symbols into the classroom then you're supporting that all the time but you're also doing other things by lowering levels of anxiety about what might happen next you're giving children independence because they can act themselves so they can go and find the equipment for the art lesson or the science experiment or a protractor that they need for their maths and that the whole thing just kind of gives a better feeling to the classroom and when you've got a nice feel to the classroom in terms of that positivity then it's safer and you're more secure in terms of being able to express your emotions you feel that you can do that in that kind of secure environment and that kind of inclusivity in the classroom aided by supports differentiated supports can can I think help along that way have you come across times where children kind of don't want to use symbols? I think it depends very much on how they're being used. So as a teacher myself, I used them in my I was a mainstream teacher and I used them in my classroom. So you would think that there would be children who would not want to use them because they thought they were babyish or beyond them. But it had been used all the time in the classroom. It was just part and parcel of what we did. So um golden rules were symbolized there were symbols labeling and signage I would symbolize you know quiet the, the zones in terms of the the noise in the classroom so we had a you know a, a whisper symbol for it's silent quiet working something different for normal talking group talking and so on. and it, it just becomes a part of the normal use within the, the classroom that's, that's what I was thinking because I, I know Lots of children will not want to feel like they are different. So literally, the symbols are just on your, as a child's desk, and the only person ever using symbols is you, and then nowhere else around the school. That will make me feel excluded. Yes. Because <laughs> everything is just like, yeah, this is you, this is everyone else. Whereas I think, yeah, having it everywhere and embedding it across, yeah, that will remove that kind of feeling of isolation that this is just for me. That's right. It's inclusive. It's it's inclusivity right the way across the board. But um, the, the situation that we're in in primary schools, in particular in mainstream primary schools now, is that there are so many young people with needs, be it the vocabulary that we've been talking about, or you know dyslexic type difficulties, or children with English as additional language, that large percentages of the class actually do need real, you know, tangible support for whatever reason. That if you're doing quality first teaching, you're including everybody in your provision, then having symbols for you know, all those normal ongoing activities makes sense. There will be some who will need more than that. You know, we might need a specific vocabulary chart on a specific table. But again, in my experience, I've seen, you know, all children kind of relying on that. Everybody likes visual timetable. Again, I think there was some research that showed visual timetables were used as much by non-neurodiverse children as neurodiverse children because we all like a timetable and if it's visual it helps us to process it more quickly it does and that's the thing is, is you think more and more about the things you do how i mean icons on your phone yeah you're not reading the names of your apps you're looking for an image you're looking and you will process those. My daughter has this thing where she puts all her green icons together. <sighs> Makes it very hard for me, but it looks pretty on her phone. Right. So I'm looking for a green icon. I'm going, 
uh, which one is it I want? And it just takes me long. Whereas when they're all mixed up, I can find it much quicker. So yeah, that visual processing of an image for everyone, as you said, is much quicker. Yeah, definitely. And you, you'll be out in places in the underground. You're in London. I've no you're looking for you're just looking for a symbol. You're looking for that symbol which tells you this way to that. And it is, so we know ourselves, maybe subconsciously, that images help. Yeah. Images are better at conveying things. Sorry, I'm just going to interrupt that. I'd, I'd like to make a distinction between images and visuals and symbols, if I may, because I think the, the words are kind of used interchangeably, but for, for widget, symbols are something quite different. So a visual can encompass photographs, videos, clip art, other um, Google images, you know, anything like that, whereas a symbol is actually quite distinct and different because it literally goes to the, the heart of a concept. You don't have any peripheral, peripheral information around it. If I was trying to explain the concept of sand, I don't have a picture of a beach that's got people swimming in the sea or deck chairs on the beach. You know, I've got a symbol that represents sand so I can understand exactly what that is. And I think that's quite an important distinction when we're trying to, particularly when we're talking about supporting vocabulary, which obviously then leads on to being able to express yourself because you need to understand exactly what that word means in that context. I, uh, part of it, I, stopped, I realized actually that's what I kind of was falling around with. I was thinking of logos is what I was mainly thinking of. Yeah. But actually a logo isn't a symbol because a symbol is explanatory. That's right. A, lobo, a, a, a logo is a completely separate thing because it's a visual, yeah. but it's a very simple, clear visual. Yes. So, but it's not a symbol. That's right. Because it's not two golden arches. Which we all recognise. Conveys no meaning. No. But we all recognise it is. So, yeah, so I, I literally just went, oh, actually, because I think the underground symbol and all that was going... It's not a symbol, it's a logo. It's a different thing. So we use as you said, we use those terms interchangeably. Yeah. But actually but a they are quite distinct. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I was just sitting there. And we, we recognize the logos, all those app logos again. Sometimes they are a symbol. So the messaging or the phone, that would be a symbol. My outlook symbol, which is a load of squares coming out of an envelope with an O. Still doesn't really hugely. I have to actually realise the envelope was still there. And other apps make no sense, like an F for Facebook. Sure, it's a logo. Yeah. We know what it means, but it's not explaining. explaining. Yeah, and and that's where, particularly with widget symbols, which were designed to help interpret text and for literacy, as opposed to for necessarily for communication. They obviously are used for communication, but there are other symbol sets which were more designed for direct communication and they are potentially less explicit than a widget symbol, which is designed to support text and understanding and, and reading. Complete segue to our conversation, but I'm just interested. As if somebody who works for widget, you probably know this. Do like museums, often you can go to a museum and you used to have tour guides. You now can go get one of those big one things and a pair of headphones and walk around. And Do a lot of museums have like a symbol guide to that museum? I just, it's one of the things I'm curious about, the inclusivity. If you have no idea, say no idea, I'll come back. <laughs> As a company, we work with, we have worked with various museums and, and um, leisure facilities. So Shakespeare's 
Birthplace Trust, Anne Hathaway's Cottage, the Eden Project, to name a couple, they all have symbolised documents and symbolised worksheets and symbol signage throughout their leisure facilities because you're not just talking about children um, in school, you're talking about foreign visitors, you're talking about adults with learning difficulties, additional language learners, there's a whole range you know, all lots of organisations have been through the, the disability improvements and they've got wheelchair ramps and they've got some braille potentially and auditory loops. And people are starting now to look at the communication side of a learning disability and actually starting to address that. So, yeah, we have worked with leisure facilities in that way. We've worked with paramedics, so with paramedics and police forces. We have a brilliant custody suite. So if anybody is unfortunate enough to be arrested, then they can ask for symbolised documents because the your legal rights in terms of what you can do when you're presented are apparently, you know, two inch thick manual, whereas we've symbolised that and simplified it. So anybody on the, t- or particularly it was designed for, for people on the aut- autistic spectrum. But I think anybody who is anxious and you would be anxious in that situation, isn't going to be understanding pages and pages of, of kind of these are my legal rights. So um, in terms of symbolization for helping people to understand and express how they, they want to be heard, their symbols can go so many, so many ways. As, as interesting, I just find as I learn about a topic, my head just wanders, meanders into lots of different things. And yeah, you know, I've been to lots of museums and you have all that. And that's the thing, I think of symbols. Yeah, if I had a symbol of a beach or a symbol of a library, whatever language I spoke, I can understand what that symbol means. So it's it's a really powerful language mm-hmm. that you kind of can do it once and everyone can understand it. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so my museum, but as soon as you moved on to the paramedics and things, again, it's a whole thing of anxiety and emotions and things like that. Yeah. And getting into, and that's one of those big fight or flight motions. If you're hurt. Definitely. Or the police get involved. Yeah. You're going to be right in that anxious state. You know, to take the paramedics who've got a, a really comprehensive pack that we produce with them, you, you could be obviously very anxious and you can't articulate. You could have English as a second language and not able to articulate, or you physically aren't able if something's happened to your, your voice or your, your mouth or your, you know, so being able to point to where the pain is or the level of the pain scale or how you're feeling, whether you've got you know, a headache or you're feeling sick, actually really, really powerful. That's one of the things you go completely different segue into stuff like eye gaze. One of the things I think that helped a lot of people understand is that person who is trapped in there. So you sit there and go, yes, they have no control, but actually there's a fully functioning brain in there. They can do lots of things. They're kind of trapped. Sure. And I think, again, when you remove that ability to speak and that communicate or you're trying to communicate in a different language, there are barriers. Yep. And just drip, dropping down to these nice, simple symbols removes those barriers and allows two people to communicate. Yeah. Stroke victims, phasia. You know, it can go so far that there's so many ways that symbols and, and widget can help. One interesting thing on strokes, my brother-in-law's had a, had a stroke a number of years ago. If you say a number to him, like how much your house cost, he looks at you very blank. 
you write that number down, he can understand it. That blows my mind every time it happens. Yeah. That I'm saying a word, don't understand it. I write that or saying a number, I write the number down, I can understand it. It's like, how is that possible? It's a different, different part, part of, of the brain. brain. Yeah. And so, pro- I mean, you know, text is, is effectively a visual. It's not a symbol in terms of the way that we would look at visuals, but it is visual. So it's being processed in a different part of the brain. But I, I suppose early reading is symbols. So yeah. I was thinking about my daughter starting at nursery. You often have, and um, they have their own coat peg. Yep. And they'll often have a symbol. So they learn that my daughter might have been an umbrella. So she looks for the umbrella and hangs her coat on. But next to the umbrella is okay. her name. Yep. And she'll just look at the shape of that word. And she'll learn that if it starts with that big shape and there's a couple of tools and a lower thing, that probably is my name. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't understand that. But so that's how you kind of the first bits of reading. That's right, emergent right? reading. Does yep. that say my name? Yep. It's like, yes. And it's just recognising almost like that that is a symbol of her. And then oh, later on, she actually work at there's letters involved in this. <laughs> it's not a picture. I mean, there are letters and things. But yeah, so that again, that symbol, that first reading is symbols, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, symbolic representation of the sounds, isn't it? Those phonemes. So yeah. That really zigzaggy word is often mum yeah. <laughs> or mummy. It goes up and down a lot with a thing at tail. Oh, that's mummy. Yeah, word shape. Whereas the two round things, probably dad. And you say, yeah, so they're not reading, they're recognising a shape, shape, a symbol. Well, not a symbol, yeah. it's not meaning, it's an image. <laughs> Symbolic representation of text, of phonemes, yes. graphemes, yeah. That's the thing, that's what I like about it, because I had a completely misunderstanding of what PEX was. It was just exchanging pictures, so a bit like widgets. Like, no, no, PEX is, is using those images to gain attention or request something. Absolutely, yeah. And I was like, I did not know that. So again, sometimes when someone says, oh, PEX, it's like widget. It's like, well, no, it's two different things. Similar, overlapping, but PEX is a specific use. Specific communication system. So I give you a card with a photograph, a picture, or a a toy car stuck on it, and you give me that toy car. So it's my way of exchanging that picture for getting what I want. And you can put anything on that. PEX card. So you can use widget symbols, you can use the say photographs, you can use objects of reference. But yeah, it's about the understanding that if I give you this, I'm asking for something and you're going to give it yeah. to me. There's that level of understanding. Yeah, again, I learn lots through doing these podcasts. So um being able to express yourself. Yeah. Yes. So I think you've covered the two bits. You've given me two percentages in my things, which was one was the EEF and the 76% of pupils have more communication needs. Need more support, yeah. And 95% have schools have increased in pupil anxiety. I personally would love to see the same survey done for staff. Yes. 100%, <laughs> I would say. 99.9, yeah. Yes. But I'd also like to hear something from the government about, I always find that, they often talk about, well, we're just going to do this. And they don't really acknowledge the problem or do it. They're like, well, we, we, we need to get it back. And that's as far as they say. So as we're getting this, as this information is coming in, as we're doing these surveys, we've got the white paper saying we want 90% of pupils to achieve the expected standard by 2030. Then this year's SATs, the percentage that passed, dropped. 
And so we got this information coming in. The white paper didn't really announce any extra money, let, not, let alone mention the pay rise for staff and electricity bills and energy bills coming in. There's still no real talk of additional money. So we've got, you could say, a crisis coming. I fear so, yes. But no one's, the government's not kind of stepping up to do anything about it again. So hopefully schools will find a way to support the children and the staff. But I do think that if, because what we're talking about here is with anxiety and communication skills, they are more important, lifelong, I would say, than achieving the expected standard at the end of year six. Yeah, and as I say, we, we, you know, we've seen that research and that statistics that talks about you know, vocabulary being a precursor for academic achievement and lifelong well-being, which it obviously can't, can't solve the, the government crisis, but our software is reasonably priced and it is very quick and efficient to use. So it's something that teachers can use very easily to create resources without having to spend hours and hours looking for a visual that goes with the vocabulary or, you know, a Google image that they want to use. We can help a little bit. Yes. I I, I sometimes feel people think to save money, you don't spend money. But I think there is a whole thing of time is the most expensive thing. If you look at your, your budget, how much goes on time. Sure. So sometimes you can save money by using spending money because you're saving saving time. time. No, I totally agree. And you might not save anything by doing that, but actually you're freeing up time to do so much more. And as we mentioned before, you know, giving children independence in the classroom because they can they can access text because it's differentiated by adding a symbol or they can access the equipment that they need, or they're not over-anxious, so they're not kind of having meltdowns or poor behaviour, that frees up the teacher and the support staff to actually be doing the teaching, to be bringing those children up to the levels that the government want. So that's a really positive spiral upwards. Yeah. Sometimes free is good, but sometimes it's how long has it taken you to create that something for free? That's why you should all buy B squared, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) cool is there anything you want to add before we wrap up i I think we've covered most things from your sort of uh bit you sent over yeah no that's great thank you very much cool and it is we we cover i think anxiety is probably a topic which comes up in a lot of podcasts because it is has it's growing but i also think it has been here for a long long time but we haven't recognised it or acknowledged it. I think we're much better at recognising it and, you know, trying to put strategies in place to support young people. And, yeah, there's, there's things I see in the adult world where I now reckon that that person is anxious or I'm not, I'm not seeing anxiety. I'm seeing them act a certain way and I can probably come back to them behaving that way probably because there has been anxiety at some point and they've just almost, it's their coping strategy. That's correct, yeah. And the biggest example I've seen of this is, as someone told me before, that kind of if you go into a classroom environment as an adult and you're going, I'm going to learn about this, and then someone starts talking at you, I think someone said like the typical person might only understand 40 to 50% of something that was going on. 
And for me, if I don't understand it, I'll question it. But it is, it's almost like I've only ever understood half of what's being explained to me. So therefore that's normal. Yeah. So at some point they were probably anxious about it, but didn't recognize they're anxious about not understanding. So they've kind of just worked out that, you know, I, I only ever yeah. understand it. And it's just this weird thing where I go to these classroom-based things and I've done something where we've done tests and half of us have passed, half of us haven't. And I'm going, but the people who failed were silent and they were never asked any questions. And for me, if I didn't understand, I would, so I found that really odd. And it's just almost like they don't want to come across as they don't know. They And someone said that it's because they've got used to not, not understanding. understanding. Yeah, Yeah, not realising. Or they might, as you say, they might be anxious about asking. They don't want to interrupt. So bring it back to symbols again, a symbol with a, a hand up that can actually be put on the desk or even you know, physically held up is an interruption of the lesson without physically having to speak. And then, you know, somebody can come and support you. But it, it makes me think, when we think about this prison population with that communication level of 11-year-old yeah. and that limited vocabulary, is they must be hearing conversations and having conversations and only really understanding half of it, but almost probably partly aware, not aware. Not aware. No, I think that's right. They don't understand everything that's going on. And they haven't got the vocabulary to able to express that, but also in the situations that they got into at an early age, again, not having the vocabulary to be able to explain why or how that situation had occurred can then lead to them being you know, viewed as being sullen or awkward or disruptive or deliberately you know, causing problems. So the vocabulary has got a lot to answer for language development. And if we can get symbols in early on to support that vocabulary development, I think we'll go a long way to supporting a lot of children. And just to be clear, again, we've covered this before, it, symbols aren't, a re- aren't, they could be a replacement most of the time they are additional. additional to the text. It's that scaffolding and they'll use that as they get confidence, as they build that confidence, they'll move on to the words. And then when you introduce a new word, like I read 80%, well, oh, what's that word? Look at the symbol. Ah, okay. What? And so it helps them. Yeah. So again, within the software that, that we produce, you can emphasize the symbol or the text. So you can change the size of the font keep the symbols fairly small. So if you're wanting to have sort of more emphasis on decoding the text, but you might need a little bit of support looking at the symbol to give you the comprehension, then you've got that. Or you can turn it the other way around and have a bigger emphasis on the symbol and smaller font so that actually at the moment we need the symbol to make help us and we're not actually at that level yet of being able to decode the text easily. So you've got you've got options for being able to use it. Because I think it's all about building that confidence and that fluency. So as they get that confidence and that fluency, you can remove those symbols later on. Yeah. My background is um, dyslexia training. So I'm a member of the British Dyslexia Association. And, you know, the number of children who wouldn't read because it took them so long to be able to decode, that they'd lost the fluency and they'd lost the understanding. So they don't get any pleasure from reading. But, you know, even though they're intellectually very capable, you know, we put some symbols in and take the word cell, for example, or wine, wind, wine. You know, you're reading unless you 
kind of have a context for that and an understanding of what that means, you don't understand what it is that you're you're reading. So you, you don't get that comprehension. You don't enjoy it. But if I put a symbol there of you know, W-I-N-D is, is in this instance, it's wind and I've got a, a turning handle, then I understand what that was about. It's helped me to decode it. I've read it quickly. I've got a pleasure from reading. I want to do more. The more I do, the better I get. The more I do, the more I enjoy it. And, and you know, we, and then, as you say, you know, recognition, word recognition, you don't need the symbols anymore because you're actually recognising the words and, and learning them. Definitely. Reading comprehension language is a lot more complicated than most of us realised when we were younger. And and also as a parent, you don't understand the complexities. You do some nursery rhymes, they go to school, they can do it all. There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of steps. Yeah. Whole other podcast. Whole other podcast. I think we've You've probably got all the podcasts some. I've done. <laughs> I still haven't covered all of that journey. There's still bits getting added in. But it's always fascinating. It's always just when you think of sensory processing, you see, you under, but there's just so many steps. It's just your body is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Right, coming to the end, that book was called Forward to Word Aware. Uh, Word Aware. Is that the, name of the-, the book's called Word yes. Aware. Yep. And and Jean Gross did the forward to it. Cool. I'll add, I'm going to add that in. I've typed that into the useful link, so I'll share that as well. So thank you for coming on the show today, Sue. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, we'll be putting links to things we've mentioned, including that book and a few other things and your contact details in the show notes, which you'll find wherever you listen to the podcast or on the Sendcast website. If you haven't subscribed already, click on that subscribe button and also follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at the Sendcast. On Facebook, the Sendcast. And on Instagram, the Sendcast. Um, and if you are looking for a way to assess your pupils with SEND, come and have a look at the B-Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show small sets of progress for pupils with SEND. And if you're a school in England, still confused by the engagement model, not sure about the pre-key stage standards or anything else around assessment, get in contact. You can find out about our online training, our conferences, read our blog, watch our webinars. It's all on the B-Squared website and you'll find links for all of that in the show notes. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And from me too. Bye everyone. Bye.